Let us begin our Ash Wednesday sermon with prayer. Gracious Savior, you rule in the midst of your enemies. Therefore, as we hear the prophetic words you gave through the mouth of one of those who led the rebellion against you, we ask you to open our hearts and minds so that we never reject you. Use the sermon text that we may continually understand that you always plan to be our substitute in order to make us part of your body. Amen. Our text for our sermon is John chapter 11 verses 45 through 54. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They asked, what are we going to do? Because this man is doing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do not even consider that it is better for us that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not only for the nation, but also in order to gather into one the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked about openly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew into a region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, on Ash Wednesday, we kick off our Lenten journey that ends with the death of our Lord and is celebrated then with the resurrection of our Lord. And Lent seems to be kind of a dreary, dismal season. We focus on our sins. We focus on the beating our Savior took in his crucifixion. Doesn't that seem morbid? We don't do it to give ourselves a guilt trip. We do it to understand the price that was paid to set us free. We do it to understand that our Lord bore in our place a punishment that we're thankful we will never have to endure ourselves. During this year, our Lent sermons will be Lenten confessions proclaimed by Christ's enemies. And we don't do that to look at them and say, look at what bad people they were. Indeed, some of them came to be believers. We do that to see even those at the time that were enemies of our Lord ended up having to confess that Jesus is our Lord. Our text play takes place two weeks to two months prior to Jesus' Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem. And it is the only confession we'll look at during this Lent season that does not take place on Good Friday. And so the main part of our text is that prophecy that is given that sets our sermon theme. It's better for us that one man die for the people. Now, to understand the context of that saying, we go back to our opening verse, verse 45. Therefore, many from the group of Jews who came to Mary and who looked at these things, Jesus did place their trust in him. Yet some from their group went away to the Pharisees and reported to them the things Jesus did. Do you know what Jesus had done that made people put their faith in him? He had just raised Lazarus from the grave. And recall, Lazarus had been in the grave for a while when Jesus said, open it up, because his sister said, Lord, he's been in there. He's been decomposing. It's going to stink. You don't want to do that. This was quite a miracle. Two groups, as there always is. Those who understood it, wow, 
This is even the Lord of life. He's the Messiah. And the group that ran off to tell the ones who seemed to be the most opposed to Jesus. It's easy to understand why the Pharisees were the most opposed to Jesus. Because the Pharisees believed they were righteous in and of themselves. That they saved themselves by their own works. And Jesus made it clear, you can't save yourself by your works. But my works, the works of the God-man, the incarnate Savior, my works will save you. But what did they do with that information? Well, we're told, therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They kept on saying, what are we doing? Because this very man keeps on doing signs. And it's clear they mean miraculous signs. They get it, brothers and sisters in Christ. Recall that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. We can deduce that he was not one of them who agreed with this. And we're told Joseph of Arimathea did not agree with what they concluded that night. But Nicodemus had met with Jesus three years earlier and he said, We, it's the Sanhedrin, we know that you are from God because no one could do the things you're doing, the miracles, unless he was from God. So they know that he is at least a prophet from God. You and I know that he is God having taken on human flesh. And they're upset because the signs show he's the Savior, the promised Messiah. So do they say, we better start following this guy? We're supposed to be pointing to people and saying, there he is. This is the one all the scriptures talk about. No. Verse 48, they say, if we let him go on like this, then everyone will most certainly put their faith in him. And then the Romans will most certainly come and they will take us away from both our place and our nation. We've seen it right here in America. Cult leaders rise up and they claim to be some kind of a savior. And when they get a big enough following, they start to get a big enough ego. And then one day you turn on the national news and the ATF is knocking on their door with a battering ram and things don't go well, do they? And the Romans, they weren't going to tolerate it. See, what the problem was the Sanhedrin, like most of the people, misunderstood who the Messiah, who the Christ was. They thought the Messiah was going to be an earthly king who would set up an earthly government. Now, if this guy has power to raise the dead, is there going to be a government that could stand up to him? No. They didn't think that way. They thought if he gets enough following, it's going to go to his head. He's going to start marching against the Romans. And you know what the Babylonians, when they came in, conquered Jerusalem and scattered the Jewish people? Well, the Romans had a much larger empire than the Babylonians. They knew it was going to get ugly. But you know, their biggest concern wasn't for the nation, was it? Said they will take us away from both our place and our nation. They were the most concerned with protecting their positions. They had it as good as a Jew living in that area could have it. They were members of the Sanhedrin. Brothers and sisters in Christ, even in the Christian church today, there are false teachers. People who are meant to point to Christ, but instead they point to themselves. But God worked through them, and that's one of the things we want to see. Even those who hated God, who were looking out to line their own pockets at best, even through them, God would work for your and my good. 
And so it is that we get to those famous words, starting at verse 49. Then one particular man from their meeting, namely Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You men have perceived absolutely nothing. Neither are you calculating that it adds up to your benefit that one man should die on behalf of the people and not the entire nation ruin itself. It says it very clunkily as I translate that in English, but I find it interesting. You're calculating. You're not doing the math. Do the math and figure out what adds up, what piles up best for us. Because as you have said, if these people keep following this guy, they're going to lead themselves to ruin. The Romans are going to chew them up. So no matter what, people are going to die. Shall we make sure that just one man dies? Or shall we see to it that hundreds to thousands die? The outcome of his speech, verse 53, Therefore from that very day they resolved among themselves that they should kill Jesus. They knew that he was sent by God. They should have trusted that God could control the Romans, even though they misunderstood. They thought the Messiah was going to put a whooping on the Romans instead of put a whooping on the devil. They had it all wrong. And what were all of them talking about besides protecting their positions? They didn't want to see the nation scattered like the Babylonians had done. You know what the irony is, brothers and sisters in Christ is? The very thing they were plotting to stop would happen in 77 AD. See, the temple was meant to point to Christ. God is with us. The temple was meant to point to Christ's sacrifice. And after Christ came and made that sacrifice, they wouldn't give up the temple. So God used the Romans to raise it. And there's never been a temple there since, has there? Because Christ paid for all the sacrifices. It's interesting. Caiaphas said this, looking out for himself. It's better that this guy dies for the people. But we are told, after seeing Jesus' enemies plotted to keep a nation together, and we know, but it would be scattered. It, would work, it wouldn't work out for them. We're told that God had a plan in all this. In verse 51, we're told, Now he did not speak this from himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die on behalf of the nation. Now, when I've read this in the past, I always thought that it was saying, because he was high priest, God had him earlier on that year prophesy that Jesus was going to die on behalf of the nation. But recall, just a little early in verse 49, it said the same thing, namely Caiaphas being high priest that year. John is explaining that what Caiaphas just said came from the Holy Spirit. Caiaphas meant it to say, let's murder this guy, do the math, it's better we kill this guy than all of us die. But God put the words in his mouth that would spell out the most important thing I ever want you to understand in any one of my sermons. And I want you to know this, and obviously you already do. It's called the vicarious atonement of Christ. So let's go back and hear his words again. Neither are you calculating that it adds up to your benefit that one man should die on behalf of the people and not the entire nation ruin itself. The preposition that is recorded there in the Greek, huper, is one of being over. A good picture of that is when a grenade comes into a platoon and one guy jumps over the grenade, that his body receives the blast and everybody else is saved. 
Or when a mother or father are in the basement with their children and, and a tornado hits the house and the house comes crumbling down, but they've wrapped themselves around their children so their body gets beat up because they're over their children, but their children are kept protected and safe. Caiaphas may not have even realized the depths of what the Holy Spirit made sure he said, but there it is. It's better that one man should die on behalf of the people and not the entire nation ruin itself. Left on our own, we will ruin ourselves. The best we can do is think like the Pharisees and think we can earn God's favor and make up for our sins by acting holy enough. But we'll never do it. Jesus took the grenade for us. He sheltered us from the devil and he would die on our behalf. And verse 51 is just as brilliant prophecy. Now, he did not speak this from himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die on behalf of the nation, and not only on behalf of the nation, but also so that he would gather together into one body or group the children of God who have been scattered. Now, you may think right away that what he's talking about is the Jews who had been scattered. For example, we know a guy that we would call Paul. At the time, his name was Saul. He was from Tarsus. He'd been scattered. Later, he'd come to Jerusalem and kill Christians and become an apostle. But brothers and sisters in Christ, John often brings up subtly the doctrine of election. The idea that before God said, let there be light, he planned to make sure that you would come to faith. Where were you and I at this time? Where were our ancestors? Have to admit... Most of my ancestors on my mom's side of the family were in the island that we call Britain. My dad's side of the family, they were all in Germany. Pagans. But somewhere along the line, some of my ancestors would come to hear the word of God. And they would pass it on. Not every generation embraced it, but at least one person did in a long line. And I got to receive that. God had planned that as he planned for you. And here we are scattered clear over in Casper, Wyoming. We're nowhere near Jerusalem. And God planned to make sure that you would hear that Jesus is your substitute. And why would he want you to hear that from the high priest? Because the high priest was meant to point to that. Once a year, the high priest had the highest privilege of all. They would take one goat. They would slaughter it. He would walk into the holiest of holies in the temple once a year. And he would take the blood of that goat and he would splatter it across the Ark of the Covenant. That was the top of the Ark that held the Ten Commandments. It was called the Mercy Seat. And the sins of Israel would be atoned for. And on that same day, they would take a goat. You would know it by the name Scapegoat. And he would announce the sins of the people on that goat. And they would drive it out of town. They got to a point where they would drive it off a cliff so it would die. Their sins were gone. And if Caiaphas had repented and trusted in the Lord, imagine the privilege he as high priest would have pointing to the ultimate and true and one and only high priest and putting the sins of the nation on Jesus as Jesus gave himself for the sacrifice. Instead, Caiaphas would go down in history as one of the guys who made sure the nails were driven into Jesus because he thought he was putting him out of the way. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the amazing thing is, not just for the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, but for you and I, for all people scattered throughout the world and scattered in all time, Christ would come to make us one body. 
to make us one who are scattered throughout the world, different cultures, different languages, different tongues and everything. But we are all, when we're brought to faith, that Jesus is our substitute. He's the Lamb of God. He's the scapegoat. He's the one who dies on our place and our sins are removed. We are part of His body and we are united. So we see... It's better for us that one man die for the people, in this case, the God-man, because God planned to gather a body from those who were scattered throughout all the world and throughout all time. Now, the sad note is the last verse of our text. It often happens with God's word that it's either embraced or it's rejected. And there's a point when the word is rejected enough. An example of this is Pharaoh, where God says, fine, have it your way. From now on, my word will only harden your heart. And since the Sanhedrin, who was supposed to be making sure that people stayed true to the scriptures, which means they should have been saying, there's the Lamb of God. But since they started to plot his murder, God said, fine, have it your way. He removed his word from them. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked about openly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew into a region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. Only Joseph of Arimathea, only Nicodemus, only they would get to continue to hear God's grace, brothers and sisters in Christ. Lenten confessions proclaimed by Christ's enemies. Today kicks off the whole thing and it puts it all in its perspective. It's better for us that one man die for the people. Jesus' enemies plotted to keep a nation together. And we know from history that their plot failed. It would end up the opposite. That nation would be scattered and it still is today. But God planned to gather a body from those who were scattered, from Jews and from Gentiles. And he's gathered us into that one body, his invisible church, and you have eternal life because of it. Amen. Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God his Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.